Well, I take an artist or a band and listen to their work. Then I put them on a list like a music critic jerk. Then I put them all in order from the best to the worst. But you probably won't like my choice for first. I don't care. You might think this idea is dumb. You're wrong. It's actually random. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Random Album Rankings. My name is BC. Thank you so much for joining me. Be sure to follow this podcast on Instagram at random.album so you can stay up to date on future episodes, music news, and a little bit of everything in between. Yeah, I can't believe that after this year, this season, this is going to be... This is really difficult for me to get through these episodes now because... There's not going to be a season four, at least right now. I'm hope I was hoping to get season four, kick it off with the Chili Peppers in March, maybe early April. But with things going on right now in my personal life, I just need to take a break from all of this. And I hope you understand that uh, this is not a full time job. I wish Random Album was a full time job, but it's not. But I'm going to definitely give you my all these next few weeks. There'll be some random bonus episodes, of course, the year-end episodes, one of which I'll be joined by my wife and show producer, JC. And, of course, we're going to wrap things up uh, in November with a 2022 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee of my choice. I have already got lists for five of those inductees ready to go. It's just a case of randomly, no pun intended, Picking one, and you will find out who it will be on that episode. My plan is to have this episode drop on either probably November 7th is the plan. Don't quote me on that just yet, but as long as you follow this uh, podcast on Instagram, you will stay up to date. So with that said, we're going to do a little something different uh, this week, and we're going to go back to where I had a rough childhood up in northern Minnesota, Duluth, Minnesota, to be exact. And, you know, uh, I have no intention of ever returning there. So, But I'm going to uh, give this a not-so-biased opinion on it as best I can. But I will admit there were some good things that came out of Duluth. No, not just me. Ha, ha, ha. Uh No, seriously, uh, there were some good things that came out of there. For instance, uh, Don LaFontaine, the voiceover guy for trailers, you know, in a world. That guy. Yeah, he came from Duluth, Minnesota. Uh, David Oreck, the vacuum cleaner guy. They're expensive as all hell, but yes, he is a Duluthian. Bill Barry, drummer from REM. He was from Duluth. Gina Lee Nolan from Baywatch graduated from my high school, Proctor High School to be exact, uh, about a few years before I attended. And of course, we cannot forget about Bob Dylan. Yes, he too is from Duluth, Minnesota. Lived in Hibbing, but he was born in Duluth. I've seen his childhood home. So yeah, there were some good things that came out of that area. But since Dylan is not the subject this week, I'm not going to be tackling him. That'll be a future episode one day, knock on wood. 
But for now, I want to tackle one of my favorite bands that come out of that area and probably one of the best bands as far as indie rock is concerned. And I mentioned last week that uh, they were pioneer, they, they were uh, innovators as far as shoegazing. That is the completely false. I was not, a, I was out of it during the outro from last week's episode on heart, which if you listen to, thank you so much, but they did do a little bit of shoegazing, but they're not, you know, geniuses in that genre. There were others, uh, the term that I was thinking, but it got discombobulated in my head, was the term slowcore. And I'll give a definition on that a little later on in the show. But I'm going to be talking about Al Sparhawk and his band Low, who since 1993 have really dominated uh, and wowed critics not and fans, not just up in their hometown, but around the world, too. They do have a big following in Europe. And just a few years ago, to commemorate the release of uh, Double Negative, I believe. Or no, it was, no, it was uh, one in, Once in Sixes, which I'll talk about a little later. They even did a month-long residency at one of the bars in Duluth, playing different set lists each day for a whole month just to hawk the album. And it paid off. Each show was sold out, so that was damned impressive. And I got to say, Lowe definitely stands out as one of the most underrated bands of all time, especially in the case of indie rock. So for those of you who, t- who are tuning in and not familiar, you probably think to yourself, who exactly are Lowe? Well, before I can get into ranking these albums, here's a brief history. Lowe is an American indie rock band from Duluth, Minnesota, formed in 1993. The group is composed of founding members Alan Sparhawk and Meanie Parker. Previous bassists for the band include John Nichols, Zach Sally, Matt Livingston, and most recently, Steve Garrington. The music of Lowe is characterized by slow tempos and minimalist arrangements. Early descriptions sometimes referred to it as a rock subgenre called slowcore, often compared to the band Bedhead, who played this style during the early 90s. However, Lowe's members ultimately disapproved of the term. Parker and Sparhawk's vocal harmonies represent perhaps the group's most distinctive element. Critic Denise Sullivan writes that their shared vocals are, quote, as chilling as anything Graham Parsons and Emmylou Harris ever conspired on, though that's not to say it's country-tinged, just straight from the heart. Lowe are known for their impressive live performances. Rock club audiences sometimes watch the band while seated on the floor. During their early career, the band often faced unsympathetic and inattentive audiences in bars and clubs, to which they responded by bucking rock protocol and turning their volume down. The huge dynamic range of Lowe's early music made it susceptible to background noise and chatter, since many of their songs were very quiet. A 1996 performance at South by Southwest Festival was overpowered when a Scandinavian hardcore band was booked downstairs. The Trust album marked a turning point, and Lowe's music has developed a more emphatic sound. Their shows often featured drastically reinterpreted cover versions of famous songs by Joy Division and The Smiths, in addition to their own original material. A 2004 
tour featured a cover of Outkast's hit song Hey Ya, and at a gig in Los Angeles on Halloween 1998, the band took the stage as a Misfits tribute act, complete with corpse paint and black clothing. While the band's mainstream exposure has been limited, their best-known song is arguably a hymnal version of The Little Drummer Boy, which was featured in a Gap TV ad that depicted a snowball fight in slow motion to match the song's glacial tempo. A remix of their song Half-Light was featured in the Mothman Prophecies motion picture, and the band made their TV debut in 2005, performing California on an episode of Last Call with Carson Daly. Al Sparhawk and Mimi Parker are married and have two children. On the Shero's radio podcast in 2022, Parker revealed that she had been treated for ovarian cancer in 2021, and it was in remission. Lowe owns a record label, Chair Kickers Union, which releases material by other musicians such as Rivulets and Haley Boner, as well as some of their own material. Sparhawk is notably active in Duluth's small but vibrant indie music scene. He operates a recording studio in the town in a deconsecrated church that naturally provides the lush reverb characteristic of low sound. The Chair Kickers label offers another outlet for Duluth musicians, as most groups on the label are from that city, or at least from Minnesota and surrounding areas. Sparhawk has devoted considerable time and energy to his side project, The Black Eyed Snakes, a blues rock revival band quite far removed from the low aesthetic. Most recently, Sparhawk has also been seen with a new side project, The Retribution Gospel Choir. And as a solo artist, he's released his debut album in August 2006 entitled Solo Guitar. Sparhawk also plays in a Neil Young tribute band called Tired Eyes. As far as honors and awards go, the band has been honored with a star on the outside mural of the Minneapolis nightclub First Avenue, recognizing performers that have played sold-out shows or have otherwise demonstrated a major contribution to the culture at the iconic venue. Receiving a star, according to journalist Steve Marsh, quote, might be the most prestigious public honor an artist can receive in Minneapolis. At the time of this podcast, the current members include Alan Sparhawk on vocals and guitars, his wife Mimi Parker also on vocals, drums, and percussion, and their current bassist, at least as far as touring is concerned, Liz Draper, who took the bass in 2021 and joined Lowe on tour. And now that you know a little bit about Lowe, let's get to ranking. In order to dive into a band like Low, you got to know what the term slowcore means. I promised you I'd have a definition, but according to Wikipedia, since I don't really have time to devote a whole episode to the genre itself, but a band is part of it, slowcore is described as a subgenre of alternative rock and indie rock. The music of slowcore artists is generally characterized by bleak lyrics, downbeat melodies, slower tempos, and minimalist arrangements. Slowcore is often used interchangeably with the term <laughs> sadcore. So basically what we are getting into this week is a band whose lyrics are just downright depressing. So if you're thinking of tuning in, listening to happy music, 
this is the wrong episode for you. That'll be next week. Maybe. So, with that said, Greatest Hits Collections, box sets, live albums, EPs, none of those count. Just the 13 albums that were released by Lowe. Now, coming in at the bottom of the list at number 13 from 2002, I went with the album Trust. Now, I described in the history portion of this podcast that this would be a change in sound for the band Low, and the change worked. I, I really, honestly, have yet to hear a bad Low record. There were a couple albums that disappointed me. There were a couple that I just couldn't gravitate towards as I did others. But, uh, yeah, as far as terrible Low albums are concerned, I... I have yet to hear one. I do have one high on the list that people consider to be the worst, but we'll get to that a little bit later. But number 13, I went with Trust. And this was more of a change in sound, more experimentation. Sparhawk, of course, being the main songwriter with Parker, Mimi Parker and Jerry Beckley writing a couple of, co-writing a couple of tunes. It's not a bad album. I feel that their earlier works leading before Trust were better, and I feel this experimentation did improve over future albums. It's kind of a mixed bag, but never one I found myself gravitating towards. But I can honestly say that there are some songs I give high recommendations to. Most of these are almost eight minutes long. Specifically, the opening track, That's How You Sing Amazing Grace. Uh, Time is the Diamond was a good one. In the Drugs, Last Snowstorm of the Year. It's a little two-minute, 16-second track. Kind of hits home, especially if you've lived in Minnesota most of your life. And, of course, I got to give props to John Prine, the song. John Prine, the artist, is awesome. But John Prine, the song, is pretty solid, too. This would be the final album released on the Cranky record label based out of Chicago, Illinois. And I feel that the band, because the band would go to Sub Pop Records immediately after. Again, not a terrible album, but with the aforementioned songs that I just listed, they've definitely been better before and thankfully afterwards. And speaking of before, I do have a couple of albums that I'm going to dive into right now. Uh, coming in at number 12 is their debut album off the Vernon Yard record label located in the United Kingdom, which is no, the record label is no longer active. United Kingdom is, but Vernon Yard is not. The album I went with is their debut album from 1994, I Could Live in Hope. This is one of those special albums where if you're feeling depressed, yes, I know that's 90% of the low discography, but... For all the sadness in it, there's a lot of beauty in this debut album, and I really enjoy it. I think it's one of the most underrated albums of the 1990s, if I'm being honest, as well as one other low album from that decade, which I'll dive into in a, a little later in the episode. But I Can Live and Hope definitely sticks out as just a beautiful but sad album, as would be the process for other low albums. But this is the one that started it all. An interesting note about this album is all the song titles are one word. 
words, fear, cut, slide, lullaby, which is near 10 minutes long. And the, uh, the only exception here uh, is a song that was not written by the band is Sunshine, which, of course, is You Are My Sunshine, My Only Sunshine. You know, I'm not going to sing the song. You know how it goes. Honestly, I really do think this is one of the uh, most underappreciated albums from the band, especially from this era. And when you talk about I Could Live and Hope, you got to talk about Long Division as well, which is another great album of theirs and horribly underrated as well. I'll get to Long Division a little later on this episode. But, you know... I'll be honest, I didn't really dive in, even when I was living up in northern Minnesota, I didn't dive into low until probably 2005. So this is going to anger some fans up north, which I'm looking forward to doing, by the way. Uh, but I did become hooked. I did buy a couple more albums uh, and check, obviously check it out at a local public library because Minnesota has some damn good libraries in the area. Do check it out. Support your local library, folks, no matter where you live. But I Can Live and Hope is just, it just sucks you in the minute the first track kicks in. And I just think it is a very underrated album, just absolutely beautiful. Yes, you feel sad afterwards, but you feel warm at the end of it, too. And this is basically one of those albums that is the epitome of slow core. And if, I know Low hates that term, but honestly, that is the best description of it. It's a beautiful but sad album. I gotta give it a recommendation, and I will say, uh, I will give the highlight awards to uh, Slide, Lullaby, and I gotta go with Rope, the 10th track on the album. Those are solid, moody, solid tracks. Those So that's my recommendation as far as that album is concerned. And with that, moving right along at number 11 from 1999, slightly better than the debut album, I went with Secret Name. This would be the first album on the Cranky Record label in which they released three albums on that label. And this was where Lowe was really starting to get their sound. This was long before the change that would show up on the Trust album. But Secret Name showed what kind of sound Lowe was developing when they started. And this one works a little better than the, the, the previous album, I Could Live in Hope. Uh, Secret Name would be the fourth album of their career. And as they were entering the 2000s, you pretty much knew what the band was getting into. Whether you were living in Duluth, Minnesota directly and you got the early access to this band, or if you're somehow living in the United Kingdom or Europe where they also had a following and got away with the, being able to download all that stuff, Secret Name was definitely one that said, hey, we need to concentrate on this band at some point. And it's great because there are so many good songs on here. Uh, one of my favorites on this album, I would have to go with Two Step, which is Sparhawk and Parker sharing lead vocals, uh, you got Sparhawk doing the first half of the song, and then Mimi Parker doing the second half. I think it's just a beautiful record, from beautiful song from start to finish. Missouri's D 
decent. Immune Lion Lamb is good too. The closing track, Home, just a phenomenal album. And Weight of Water is how the is where you get the album title from because of the lyric make a river through the sand till you're called by a secret name uh yeah call me by your name vibes i don't know or call me by your secret name i don't know uh but this was definitely one of those albums where the minute you heard it you knew what you were getting into as far as logos and by their fourth album i it was definitely a safe bet that once you dive into this band there was no turning back. So I got to give that a good recommendation. Coming in at number 10, we are now in the top 10, folks. My pick for number 10 from 2015 is where there was a little, not just, I wouldn't say a renaissance or a revival for the band, but this is where critics were finally starting to get it, specifically those douchebags at Pitchfork. My pick for number 10 is Ones and Sixes from 2015. This would be album number 11 from the band, and it would be released on, yep, September 11th, 2015. And man, oh man, the production and the mixing is very polished on here, but this is okay, too. I mean, it was co-produced by the band and B.J. Burton, and this was all produced and engineered at Justin Vernon's studios in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Justin Vernon, of course, the man behind Bonnie Iver. And Sub Pop, one of the best indie rock labels of all time, made a video for the song No Comprende. And this is where things are starting to pick up. I mean, there were mixed reviews from critics. But Pitchfork started uh, really diving in and loving Low again for the first time in a decade. And while this isn't the best album they've ever done, it deserves your attention. It's it's very solid. And if you love the Swan, if you're familiar with the band Swans uh, and or, or Sonic Youth and you're into noise rock, this is definitely an album for you, for sure. Uh, I talked about No Comprende earlier. No End is another interesting one. Kid in the Corner, Landslide, which is a 10-minute track. No, it's not a Fleetwood Mac cover. It is... A low original, and it actually did well on the Billboard 200 charts. And by low, by well, I mean 158. Hey, that's a victory as far as low is concerned, and their fan base. The highest position anywhere is it peaked at number 34 on the Dutch Albums charts in 2015. This was basically uh, this was a shift in sound more experimentation and bony vares uh, studio with bj burton and everything this worked out well because burton would go on to produce and engineer lowe's two follow-up albums after ones and sixes the experimental noise is amazing as well and i gotta say uh, if I got to give a prop, props to the best song on the album, I talked about the, at least three or four songs on here that I give a recommendation to. No Comprende is definitely it. Now, if you've been listening to my podcast for the last three years, almost three years, you know that I do have an episode about Wilco. 
And at some point, I'll have that updated to include the new album. But for now, I guess my pick for number nine is going to show my biasm just because I do love the band Wilco. And my pick for number nine from 2013 on the Sub Pop label, I went with The Invisible Way, which was produced by, yep, Jeff Tweedy, frontman for Wilco. And it was even recorded at Wilco Studio in Chicago, Illinois. This would be the 10th album of their career. And honestly, I like this a little better than Ones and Sixes. This was still kind of slow, Corey. But at the end of the day, it actually turned out to be a phenomenal record. The guitar work on here is amazing. The drums just encircle you. You're just enfolded by the sound from Mimi Parker and Sparhawk. I really just, it just encircles you the entire album. And the way I'm talking about it should have been in my top five, maybe number one, but I'll be honest, Lowe did put out better albums than The Invisible Way, but I really like this one. And to be honest, it's kind of, it's actually one of their shortest albums at 41 minutes, but it's simple and to the point. Uh, I didn't really care for Plastic Cup, which was the opening song on the album. But for every Plastic Cup, there's Holy Ghost, there's Clarence White, there's On My Own. I do think it was, it. I mean, it gelled. It's not a great low album, but it is a good low album. And Jeff Tweedy's production on here, I believe it works. I mean, it as described by the AV Club, and I agree with this, slow buildup into a smoldering climax stretched to the length of an entire album it's definitely worth listening to and i would give this a high recommendation too if you want to get into low and i will talk about this when i get near the end of the podcast but invisible way is definitely one of those that i give a recommendation to and if you really want to get technical and say something along this like sellout album then okay the invisible way is the sellout album it's their mainstream album just on the simple fact that jeff tweedy has already achieved his mainstream success with wilco critics and fans alike so if you want to call the invisible way the mainstream sellout album then so be it i will agree with you on that one but it works sparhawk's guitars the drumming the vocals the mixing it just, it worked. It's a perfectly oiled machine. And as far as Lowe is concerned, what's wrong with that? I mean, yes, the thing about Lowe that made them stand out was the production, the mixing was un unpolished at times, but that's what made it work. So with Visible Way being a perfectly oiled machine, Lowe's allowed to have something that functions from start to finish in a clean manner. I'm okay with that. So should you. Now, remember when I said I was going to anger quite a few low fans up north? Well, here we go. As I said earlier, I didn't really dive into this band until 2005. So it is personal story time. In 2005, I was living up in Duluth. And they have what is called their, it's an annual tradition called the Homegrown Music Festival, where from th Thursday evening until late Monday morning, by late Monday morning, I mean three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, those guys know how to jam, I'll give you that. 
But Homegrown Music Festival is just bombarded everywhere with local artists putting on shows. You basically pay a ticket for a one day or three day or just the whole the whole weekend. It is totally worth it. I will give them props for that. Unfortunately, at the time, uh, I was going to college and had a part-time job that I hated, but, you know, I needed the money. So I was only able to do a couple of days, uh, the Friday night and Saturday night, because, again, work, school, you get it. But Friday night, low was announced as a headliner at Pizza Luce in downtown Duluth. And I decided to get a ticket and just to dive into, just to figure out who I would be listening to, I bought the album I have at number eight, The Great Destroyer. It had only been out for a couple of months, but I decided buy a homegrown festival ticket and get the low CD. And The Great Destroyer was just basically, the best description of it is, what if the Flaming Lips were sad motherfuckers and experimented with more noise? And that's, that's to me, that's the best description of it. The Great Destroyer was essentially a noise record. And my God, the first track, Monkey, that, be, that was actually my favorite song of theirs for a very long time. But you have to understand, I didn't dive into low until... 2005 and my knowledge of the band was a Duluth does Dylan album which I believe as I recall I think they did blowing in the wind I might be wrong if I am I'll let you know that after the break because I'm good for it I I'm not afraid to admit I make mistakes folks that's why this podcast I try to make this podcast as honest as possible I'm not the know-all end-all I just want to let you know that I'm an arrogant prick who loves music and knows quite a bit. <laughs> okay, I realize I got off topic, but Great Destroyer, to some people, that is the worst low album. I say worst and get doing air quotes, which you can't see, and I get that. But it's one of those that I really liked. It was one of my favorite albums of 2005. However, as far as low albums go, it did drop in favoritism for a number of years because, I mean, 2005, naturally, Great Destroyer was my favorite low album, mainly because it was the only one I ever bought and listened to in its entirety. But as the years progressed and new albums had come out, there were some that were far better than that. So Great Destroyer did drop in popularity as far as their albums are concerned. But Monkey is still a banger. California, Silver Rider, Cue the Strings, Broadway, So Many People, which is a seven-minute epic, Pissing, a five-minute five minute track that follows that. I like it, but at the same time, I was a little disappointed when I saw them in concert that same night. And honestly, it wasn't even low. It was an Al Sparhawk project. So everybody went in there thinking it was going to be low. But it was Al Sparhawk. No Mimi Parker, by the way. That was interesting. So there was a dude on drums in 2005 whose name I couldn't recall. And one other guitarist. Low played for 45 minutes. 
I was expecting to hear low song, so I had no clue what the hell was going on. I still didn't, honestly. And it was basically 45 minutes of... Yeah, it was noise. I felt like I was listening to Lou Reed's Metal Machine Music album, Condensed. By the way, uh, if you're listening to this with headphones and you heard that noise, I sincerely apologize. But the... uh, headphone warning was on this episode so you knew what you were getting into but oh boy i was disappointed i managed to get great destroyer autographed by al sparhawk i thanked him shook his hand he said you're welcome i'm sorry you didn't get to see low tonight which was really weird that he said that but that explains why i saw on a poster low crossed out al sparhawk project but whatever works so a couple of friends of mine wound up going to another bar to see more local acts. We saw a uh, Southern hip hop trio called Crew Jones. They were interesting. And then we saw Black Eyed Snakes, which Al Sparhawk was the front man for. And I had more fun at the Black Eyed Snakes show than I did at the Al Sparhawk project. Uh, thankfully, I still love the band and i think al sparhawk is a genius everything he's touched has turned to gold except for that project at pizza luce um so if you've never seen black eyed snakes or retribution gospel choir uh if they ever come to your neck of the woods do so if you live in duluth or minneapolis and you see them listed as coming to your area go for it you can thank me later so that's my story on Great Destroyer. Uh, just basically a story of awkwardness and questioning many decisions I've made over the years. But thankfully, the album that came out afterwards is far better The Great Destroyer was. My pick for number seven is Drums and Guns. And this would be the eighth album of their career. This would be the second album recorded with producer David Fridman, who helmed Great Destroyer. And this is basically a pseudo-concept album about the war in Iraq. It was released in 2007. A lot of experimentation on here, a lot of slowcore, a lot of electronic music on here. And it was basically that weird concert at Pizza Luce, only mixed better written better and it made more sense it it worked with the bleakness of the lyrics especially when you're saying about the war in iraq a lot of great songs on here uh belarus dragonfly dust on the window take your time the album closer violent pass which following murderer is damn phenomenal those two tracks that close out the album are the highlight of that album even with the darkness of the lyrics involved and this was actually one of their highest rated albums metacritic gave it an 81 all music gave it four stars pitchfork was actually nice enough and gave it an 8.1 it really is one of the best albums of 2007 and Billboard 200 peaked at number 196. The highest it got was number eight on Billboard's Heat Heat Seekers charts, which are basically albums that, although not really bubbled under, that are getting a lot of hype and 
talk that you might want to check that shit out. So I really do like this album. It's damn solid. David Friedman's always been a great record producer as far as music is concerned. I mean, do I need to explain what he's produced? Uh, Clouds Taste Metallic by The Flaming Lips, the four albums Zyreka also by Flaming Lips, Deserter Songs by Mercury Rev. What else did he do? Um, oh, Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots and Soft Bulletin by Flaming Lips. So the man's done it all, and I think if anybody knows how to produce a great indie rock record, it's Dave Fridman. And Great Destroyer, not a favorite album of mine, but the follow-up Drums and Guns just seemed to hit a little harder and made more sense. I just hope one day I can see Low in concert and actually see Low and not just some project. At number six, I went with the final album on the Vernon Yard label for the band Low. I went with The Curtain Hits the Cast from 1996. This would be the third album in the band's career, and it would be produced by Steve Fisk, who he himself is not only, well, he was not only keyboardist for this album, but he too is also a musician and record producer in his own right. He was in bands such as Pell Mell and Pigeonhead. He also has been associated with the Pacific Northwest music scene, even more so with the Sub Pop record label. And this one, I do like this one. This is this seems to be one that is also underrated as far as Lowe's 90s work. In fact, I do like Lowe's work from the 90s quite a bit. And there's going to be one more from that decade that's going to be a little higher on the list. So consider yourself warned. Uh but Curtain Hits the Cast, I think, is really good. Now, the, thi the, the one frustrating thing about this album is you either bought it as a CD or cassette, depending on what kind of uh, music you're listening, how you're getting your music in the 90s, or you managed to pony up the extra dough and get it on vinyl. If you bought it on CD or cassette, there are only 12 tracks. If you bought it on vinyl, there were 14 What's not on the CD or cassette are the songs Prisoner and Tomorrow One. Those would be, would be included a decade later in their Rarities box set, A Lifetime of Temporary Relief, 10 Years of B-Sides and Rarities, which I do have to give a very high recommendation to. I did listen to that box set uh, about, about 10 years ago. That makes, about, that makes sense because uh, I had started getting into the band low. And I have to say, Lifetime of Temporary Relief is a box set that is a must-own if you are a music lover. It is a very good album, a good collection from start to finish. And let me tell you something, it takes a lot to make Back Home Again, the John Denver song, sound uber depressing. So props to Sparhawk, Parker, and company for making that happen. Great job. So if you have the vinyl album, you have Prisoner and Tomorrow One long before you got it on the box set. So props to you. But I'm ranking the CD version, or in this case, the streaming service that I subscribe to. So, that, uh, so that's how I'm getting 
my uh, this is how I'm ranking and this is the version I'm ranking. It's very good. Sparhawk and Parker switch off on lead vocals on multiple songs. Uh, the plan is a great, which has Parker on lead vocals. That's really good. Uh, I do like laugh, which is near 10 minutes long. Do you know how to waltz, which is near 15 minutes and close to the end of the album is amazing. Cause that's basically a duet between the two. It's beautiful, sad, but beautiful, which is a phrase you're going to hear quite a bit as far as this episode is concerned, but I really do like this one. And I'm glad Lowe is getting a lot more love this this last decade, not just on Pitchfork, but more people are diving into this band. But I really think their 90s work is horribly underrated. And some of their best, in fact, one of my favorite albums of theirs came from that decade. And that would be the second album I bought. Not this one, but I'll be talking about that in a bit. Uh, the Curtain Hits the Cast, however, is very good and... It's just a phenomenal album, and I love the album cover, which is basically Mimi Parker's drum kit. You know, she does an amazing job. Um, everything on this album is solid. It basically shows that Lowe was here to stay, and while I'm not going to be including Curtain Hits the Cast in my favorite third albums episode, which will be in a few weeks, it is definitely worth listening to, and one of the last great uh albums from that decade and one of the very few that pitchfork gave a high recommendation to 8.5 to be exact this wouldn't be the last time pitchfork would rank a low album this high and i'll talk about that in a bit too uh, again i'm probably gonna be angering people up north with this episode but what can you do it's my job uh, like i said i already told you about the highlights the plan do you know how to waltz laugh uh, I do like Prisoner and Tomorrow One, but being as I only heard those on the box set, uh, the CD version, the CD cassette version is the one I choose to rank. I really did enjoy that one, and uh, there's really not much else to say about it. This, The lyrics are bleak but beautiful. The musicianship is phenomenal. The mixing, the production, it's solid. It's not completely polished. But it's it's definitely a very listenable band. There is a little bit of shoegazing in there as well. I did mention that earlier. I did I made a mistake saying that they were innovators of shoegazing. They weren't. Uh, in fact, they're hardly shoegazing, but they did dabble. And this is one of those albums where they did. But slowcore is definitely rampant as far as this album is concerned, and definitely a favorite of mine. And also a favorite of mine, coming in at number five, we enter the 2010s with a very interesting record that was recorded in a church in Duluth, specifically Sacred Heart Studio, which actually is a former Catholic church turned recording album. Uh, this would also be the location where they would record Trust, which I talked about earlier and had at the bottom of my list. But Come On is phenomenal, and it's basically a Duluth artist reunion because you got Nels Klein on lap steel and guitar. You got Caitlin Moe of Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Yes, I know she's not Duluthian, but Trans-Siberian Orchestra, big name, especially around Christmas time. You have Dave Carroll playing banjo on uh, from Trampled by Turtles playing banjo on this album. It's, it is actually a little more positive compared to earlier and future low albums. 
I enjoy it. And if if you enjoy if you love Retribution Gospel Choir, then Come On is definitely the right album for you to listen to. Uh, this is probably their second shortest with at four, almost 46 minutes in total. Uh, 10 tracks, it does the job. Try to Sleep, Witches, $20, Majesty Magic, uh, the eight-minute track, Nothing But Heart, Something's Turning Over. A lot of good stuff on this album and even got a high charting position on Billboard 200 charts at 73. Now... That's that is the highest for us, but their highest chart position was on the UK indie albums charts at number seven. But I really enjoyed this one enough to have it in my top five. I basically I got Retribution Gospel Choir vibes, and they're amazing in its own right. So there's like oh, there's a warmth in this one. This literally not just because it was recorded in an old church, but this was basically a religious experience kind of album. And they were, there are a couple more on this list that fit that bill. I'll talk about those shortly. But come on, at that time, I was out of Duluth and living in the Twin Cities, and I seem to enjoy my time there. But yes, I still listen to Trampled by Turtles, and I still listen to Low. Those are two of the best bands to come out of that region. Uh, so if you like your slow core with a little bit of uh, hope, then Come On is definitely the album for you to listen to. It's just fantastic and just great. And you got a lot of good personnel on this album, too. The production uh, mixing is just incredible. Steve Garrington played bass for this album, and he would be out of the band, unfortunately, a few years later. I already talked about Nels Klein. I already talked about Trampled by Turtles. Nels Klein, I should say, I uh, completely forgot, is from the band Wilco, and again with the with the work on Invisible Way by their frontman Jeff Tweedy, it made perfect sense. Nels Klein is just solid on here. Chris Price on keyboards, uh, Sparhawk and Parker's kids on backing vocals, Cyrus and Hollis on a few songs, just incredible. It's it's a family affair. It's a family reunion. It's a Duluth artist jam session, and for that, that's that's definitely commendable for sure. And it's just another example of why Lowe has continued so strong these near 30 years of recording and making music. And yes, believe it or not, next year will be the 30th anniversary of the formation of Lowe. And they're really, they're still going strong this very day. In fact, last, in fact, this time last year, they released their 13th full-length album and it did so well this was one of the best received albums of 2021 i almost i actually i do feel bad not including that on my ran dozen last year but fucking a it came so close too uh, i mean the reviews were great for it it was beloved by pitchfork even and you know how sticklers they are but they like this album enough to make it their fifth favorite album of the year Wow, I and I totally must I definitely made a mistake not including them on Randos because it is so good. Good enough that I have it at my number four spot. I went with Hey What. That is my number four pick for favorite low album of all time. And if I could go back in time, 
Uh, if I could go back to Rand Dozen, Hey, what would probably, it would probably be number nine, maybe number 10 on my list. But that was then, this is now, I made a mistake. So my Rand Dozen last year remains as is. But Hey, what is very good. A 46-minute album, 10 tracks. I mean, you, you expect epics, but you know what? For an al- for a band that has put out epic albums in the past, ranging from uh, 60 to 75 minutes in their earlier works, this 46-minute album does feel like an epic. And there are so many great songs on here as well. Uh, I Can Wait, Disappearing, Hey which is seven minutes, 41 seconds long. The price you pay, it must be wearing off. There's a comma after still. So many great songs on here. The lyrics are, are awesome. Again, Sparhawk and Parker can do no wrong at this point. I really, truly loved this album and can't stress enough how impressive it is. And props to Lowe, 30 years, early happy anniversary to you folks. Uh, this would also be on the Sub Pop album. This would be the third recording that would be produced by B.J. Burton. And he has worked with everybody from Low to Bon Iver to mainstream acts like Charlie XCX, Miley Cyrus, Eminem, Lizzo, Casey Musgraves, Taylor Swift, just to name a few. And I love it. The best description of it is it's... It's a kinder, gentler, slow core. I mean, the lyrical content is still bleak. The instrumentation, the electronics are still downtrodden, bleak and everything, down-tuned guitars and everything. But my God, it just put a smile on my face the few times I listened to it last year. And listening to it again recently, just in time for this podcast, I it is a very good album from start to finish. I can't stress that enough. Uh, to say low is in their renaissance period is somewhat far-fetched because I don't think they've gotten to that point yet, even though they've been around for 30 years. But I do think their best work has come in this last, in these last few years. I'm going to talk about that as we progress to the number one spot, but Hey, what is definitely up there? We're only a couple of years into the 2020s, but if I ever do a best of the decade episode for the 20s, expect Hey What to show up pretty high on that list. It's just it's just a great album from start to finish. I love it. And what can I say? Sparhawk is a damn legend, as is Mimi Parker. I am so glad that Parker is making a full recovery. Hopefully, we'll get that tour. Rest up, stay safe, and when it's time for you to tour... Make the announcement. Let us know. I will get tickets. That is for damn sure. Coming in at number three, this is where I get all hipstery and shit. Because this would be not only the second low album that I ever bought in my young adult years, but this wound up, turned out it was the second album of Lowe's career. The more you the more you know when you uh, buy a new album that you get hooked into, want to know more about and the second low album I ever bought turned out to be the second album they ever put out. My pick for number three is Long Division from 1995. Now, this, this is a slow core essential. This is just 
everything you expected in that genre. Bleak lyrics, slow tempos, just absolute depression. And it was one of those albums that clearly spoke to me, telling me to pick it up, even though I got it at a discount store. Sorry, Al. Sorry, Mimi. But... <laughs> But man, Long Division is probably their most underrated of the of their 90s work and probably of their entire discography. I thought Long Division was impressive. And it starts off bleak with the six near six-minute track violence. And then you have two tracks from Mimi Parker, Below and Above, and Shame. And then we got songs like Swinging, Stay. Parker sings lead on three tracks. It's basically Sparhawk's baby as far as this goes. But it works. I guess I mean, if there's one song I could do without, I suppose the 35-second Streetlight, but then again, who am I to pick on interludes? So that's kind of unfair. See-through uh, see is probably my least favorite Parker vocal. Just an opinion. My least favorite Sparhawk vocal on this album, I'd probably have to go with um, Take, which closes the album. Otherwise, Long Division... Definitely sounded better compared to Great Destroyer, which was the first low album I ever bought. But whereas Great Destroyer kept going, sinking lower, pun slightly intended, and lower, Long Division tended to go up and up and up. But what wound up being better than that, though? Well, uh, coming in at number two on my list uh, was loaned to me by a friend that I have lost touch with over the years unfortunately but he said this was Lowe's best work and I'm almost inclined to agree on that one it was really tough whether or not to have this at number one or not but honestly it definitely comes close and my pick for number two from 2001 is things we lost in the fire this would be album number five for this uh, for this band and a lot of good songs on here as well first off props to the producer on here steve albini who has been a member of bands like big black flower shellac he's also worked with nirvana the pixies the breeders pj harvey page and plant so this man has done it all and as far as things we lost in the fire goes albini was the perfect choice and Depending on where you bought this, where you live and where you bought this or listened to it, you got different versions of it. Some album, some editions overseas have bonus tracks like Overhead or Don't Carry It All. Obviously, you didn't get that here in the United States, but those would show up on the Rarities box set, which I gave my recommendation for earlier. And as of now, this is their second highest rated reviewed album on Pitchfork with an 8.7. It is it is considered by many to be Lowe's best album, and it's hard to disagree with that, but I have it at number two. I I don't know what else what I can say about this album that hasn't been said over the years, but it's it's great. Sunflower Dinosaur Act is just fucking amazing from start to finish. It is one of my favorite love songs and probably one of my favorite songs from the early 2000s dinosaur act is is really good medicine magazines is interesting uh there's the first part there's the 
sharing of lead vocals on the album on, on the album on the song July. Uh, like a forest is sweet, uh, in metal, which closes the album with Parker on lead. It is phenomenal, and it is one of the best albums in the slowcore genre. One of the best albums in dream pop. It's the again bleak but beautiful is the best description for most of Lowe's work. I do enjoy this album, and it is one of the best albums of the 21st century. I really agree with that. Uh, I know people think that is their best work. It's hard to disagree with that, and the many times I've listened to it, it gets so much better and so much better with each listen. So, yeah. To 99.9% of Lowe's fan base and critics up at, up in northern Minnesota and around the world, it is their best album. I, on the other hand, think another album is so much better. The date... September 14th, 2018. Now, it was around this year, maybe it was even last year, that new releases, as far as music were concerned, were coming out the same day as new releases in the movie theaters. In this case, Friday, which is when September 14th landed in 2018. Now, I'll be honest, listening to new albums or anything along those lines around that time was the furthest thing from my mind. And here's why. Because the following day, September 15th, was the day I got married to the woman who is still my wife three years later. Four years later, excuse me. Sorry, JC, I love you, babe. But, uh, yeah, that was why I wasn't uh, listening to the album I have at number one or any new albums that came out uh, the day before because I was focused on getting married. September 14th was the rehearsal. September 15th was the actual day. And I didn't bother listening to this album until a couple of months afterwards so that I could focus on things I had missed around that time because I had priorities. Uh, other priorities in my mind to worry about. So that was then. This is now. I finally got a chance to listen to the album a couple months later, after a couple months after I got married. And honestly, not only was I impressed with it, I loved this album enough to include it. Not only is one of the best albums of 2018, but it's also my favorite low album of all time. My pick for number one is the 12th album of their career double negative and a little bit of uh, fun trivia here for you this would be the last low album to feature steve garrington on bass he would leave the band two years after its release and this was recorded at the terrarium in minneapolis and on the sub pop label produced by bj burton who's worked with many great artists over the years many great indie artists like Bon Iver, Francis and the Lights, Charlie XCX, even worked with mainstream artists like Taylor Swift, Miley Cyrus, Eminem, Lizzo, and Casey Musgraves. So Lowe definitely had some good company as far as producing this album was concerned. And I have to say, this album is so different 
from the few albums prior to this. And as weird as Great Destroyer was, the thing, I will say Double Negative was just as weird, mainly because they took what they wanted to do for Great Destroyer, and they not only made it sound amazing, oddly enough, this is actually their happiest album. In fact, if you go online or if you look up Webster's Dictionary, or the Oxford Dictionary, excuse me, double negative is described as a negative statement containing two negative elements. For example, he didn't say nothing. It's also described as a positive statement in which two negative elements are used to produce the positive force, usually for some particular rhetorical effect. For example, there is not nothing to worry about. And when you get right down to it, listening to this album, yeah, Double Negative is absolutely a positive album from Al Sparhawk and Mimi Parker and Steve Garrison, as, or Steve Garrington, excuse me. Steve Garrison's a Married with Children character. And I'll be honest, I might have heard the singles off of it before the big day. I know The Current, which is the Minnesota public radio station in Minneapolis, obviously loves local artists. And I might have heard Quorum, but I didn't know because it was the furthest thing from my mind, like I said. And honestly, after listening to this album two months after my wedding, yeah, Quorum is a great opening track dancing and blood is probably my favorite off the album one of my all-time favorite low songs as well uh, always up which has impressive flute work or bass flute work even by micah vanderlind just absolutely solid always trying to work it out is great the sun s-o-n the sun s-u-n is a great instrumental with mimi parker providing spoken word so she definitely delivered here. This was definitely a joint effort. You do have a couple of tracks that are split. The vocals are split between Al Sparhawk and Mimi Parker. But otherwise, Mimi does half the vocals on this album. Al does half the vocals on this album. It's, it is a joint effort. And you have Steve Garrington chugging along on bass definitely a solid album from the band and the musicianship the guitar work everything was just phenomenal it's what's the best description i mean it's definitely more stripped down affair compared to say the great destroyer and i mentioned hey what earlier on in this episode and it basically continues were double negative left off and hey what was released around the time of the pandemic too and despite bleak lyrical content and not to say there isn't bleak lyrics and double negative but there's a light at the end of the tunnel as you listen to this album and i gotta give props to uh, the album cover it's it's also an example of being stripped down you have a pink backdrop and you have i want to say it looks like a wall outlet uh, electrical socket minus the plugs. So it's, yeah, it's a wall outlet with nothing in it. Looks like it appears to be broken, resembling a ghost. Um, maybe I'm just thinking uh, too much on it, but 
props are definitely or the artwork is done by a man named Peter Liversidge, who's well known not for album artwork, but uh, artistic practices and his use of proposals. Uh, not wedding proposals per se, but uh, let's here's a list of some of his some of his published proposals. Proposals for Bonnier Knotts Hall in 2018. Uh, proposals for Basis in 2014. Proposals for Printed Matter Incorporated 2014. And Bloomberg proposals in 2009. Just to name a few. But his artwork here, uh, I don't know what the proposal was here, but ha ha ha. But it worked. It's The album cover is basic, but it works. The lyrical content is probably the most positive the band has ever written and recorded. And honestly, around this time frame, I was at my happiest. I still am. And it just seemed like this album came at the right time for not only Low, but for me on a personal level. So I have to give props to Low for Double Negative being so obtainable the ambiance music work here the noise the experimentation is so much better here compared to great destroyer uh fly was an interesting one not a personal favorite of mine disarray was a decent single tempest is underrated rome always in the dark is an interesting track in its own right but i have to say dancing in blood is still my favorite song off the album and honestly i really truly wish that uh, Lowe will be able to do at least one more tour. I know Mimi Parker has been dealing, struggling with her cancer diagnosis. Uh, she seems to be getting better, but at the at the same time, who knows at this point? I really hope that she has a speedy recovery so that Sparhawk and Parker can at least do one more tour because it seems like if they do tour, it may be their last. I don't know, but it sounds like considering Parker's condition, this may be one of the last times Lowe will ever go on tour if that should happen. So I'm hoping for a speedy recovery and trying to be positive as far as this goes. Their music will always be bleak, but beautiful. Yes, take a drink each time I say the words bleak, but beautiful. And double negative, despite that description still on here, in a weird way, Double Negative remains their happiest work. And I've got to be honest, who would have thunk a band known for sadness in their lyrics wind up having their best work being their happiest? And here we are, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, dub Double Negative is Lowe's best work. And it even got... Praise from Pitchfork, who gave it an 8.7, the same score, believe it or not, for Things We Lost in the Fire. And it finished 8th for Best Album of 2018 on their list. And I will say what I said at the beginning. Duluth, Minnesota is an area I honestly have no intention of ever returning to. I have too many bad memories living there that... As soon as I got out of there, I was able to breathe on a personal and emotional and a mental level as well. So, and marrying my wife when I was living in the Twin Cities was definitely 
one of the best things I could do. I'm glad I didn't, I'm glad I never pushed her away. So JC, I love you. Thank you for all you've done for me and still continue to do for me. I'm absolutely convinced I'd be lost without you. As far as Duluth, Minnesota goes, I don't hate the area as much as I used to, but for those wondering if I'll ever visit or come back to the area, chances are no, I will never return to Duluth, Minnesota, just because the uh, sadness is still there. But I will say this about Lowe. It is one of the, they are one of the best things to come out of Duluth, Minnesota. And they have the illustrious career to prove it. Awesome discography. Double negative being the best of the bunch. And honestly, when you're a sad core band and your best work is your happiest yet, you're doing something right. There's definitely not nothing to worry about when you listen to double negative. And just like that, another random album ranking is in the books. But before I go, let's take one final look from worst to best for the discography of Low. Coming in at number 13, I had Trust from 2002, followed by I Could Live in Hope at number 12, Secret Name at number 11, Ones and Sixes at number 10, The Invisible Way at number 9, The Great Destroyer at number 8, Drums and Guns at number 7, The Curtain Hits the Cast at number 6, Come On from 2011 at number 5, their most recent release, Hey What, at number 4, their debut album Long Division from 1995 I have at number 3, Things We Lost in the Fire at number 2, and my pick for number 1 favorite low album of all time from 2018 I went with Double Negative. And that's going to do it for this edition of Random Album Rankings. Be sure to follow this podcast on Instagram at random.album so you can stay up to date on future episodes, music news, and a little bit of everything in between. I should also point out that you can rate this podcast on Spotify, Google Cast, and wherever you listen to this particular podcast. Leave a rating. Let us know how we're doing because we can only get better from here. And be sure to tune in next week for another edition of Random Album Rankings. Next week, I tackle the band Anne Berlin, who recently reunited, is in the process of working on a new album. So that should be an interesting episode. And until then, I'm BC saying the world is your oyster. Get out there and go shuck it. Goodbye, everybody. You may think this idea is dumb. Well, you're wrong. It's actually random.